When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Election College, Episode 149, Presidents, Politicians, and Space. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now... Your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Hey, Jason, our country was at one time in like a heated, heated race, which we'll talk about, uh, for space exploration. And our love for it doesn't seem to have died. Yeah. And a lot of us have been reflecting on the life of John Glenn. This past week, when we think of space exploration, John Glenn is probably the most famous astronaut. Maybe after Neil Armstrong, you've got Buzz Aldrin because he's got an awesome name and he's also been in the news recently. John Glenn, that's who I think of. Yeah, I think I told this story a long time ago on the podcast, but. I remember very vividly when John Glenn went back to space um, in the late 90s, being very sad because the shuttle was supposed to take off and I was going to get to watch it in class. And instead, I had to go to the bus and I had to hear it on the radio. He's definitely been uh, present in my memories as well. That's an awful story, Ben. It makes me sad. I, I'm sorry. It Every time I think about it, it makes me tear up a little bit. I was so excited. Yeah. Well, there's that time that... Well, in first grade, when I said, I want to see the space shuttle take <laughs> off, and the teacher said, oh, you want to be an astronaut? And I said, no, I just want to see the space shuttle take <laughs> off, and I never managed to see the space shuttle take off. And then you were with me. We were on a cruise. We, you don't say landed, but we arrived at port. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it was at Port Canaveral, and we went to a certain huge big box retailer to buy something i don't know potato chips or shampoo something. or something yeah. yeah and the shuttle driver said hey did you see the miniature space shuttle take off <laughs> it's a secret mission and i missed it when it comes to us ben we haven't had very much success but the united states in space lots of success yeah, for sure. But it didn't look like it was going to be that way early on. So let's get started. We'll talk about the kind of getting into the Cold War and the uh, the space race that happened 
early on, there was a space race, and it wasn't your traditional kind of race. Uh, everybody is world powers, basically. So you've got um, America, and you've got Russia, and even Germany to an extent. Really going at it to see who can get to space first, who can get them a satellite in space first, who can get a man in uh, uh, orbit first, who can get a man on the moon first. And it got pretty heated because we weren't always the best of friends with Russia and or Germany. And so who knows what other people are going to put up there or what we might put up there in order to gain a military advantage. Yeah. Do you think, just as a side note, do you think in Russian, the term space race, that it rhymes or in German... It, it might in German, I don't know, but maybe it's just one word. It's probably <laughs> terrifying in German, whatever it is. And then <laughs> I don't know about Russian. <laughs> hey, if you know what space race is, because we don't know how to go to Google Translate, let us know if it rhymes in Russian or in German, because I, I just have to know. <laughs> so the Cold War was between the Soviet Union and the United States of America, of course, after World War II. And we beat Germany in World War II. But Germany had all of this amazing rocket technology. And of course, after World War II, Germany wasn't militarized, but we took a lot of their technology and used it to get into space. Yeah. And so there's this battle between us and Russia, who Russia isn't as we think sometimes all just ice. There's a lot of stuff happening there and a lot of great brains in Russia. And so uh, there's this kind of struggle that's more ideological than physical, more about brain power than it is about military power. And there's a lot of tension, you know, they're developing all sorts of technology that can help lead to space, but they're also developing all sorts of technology that may or may not be militaristic. So, uh, you know, communism is spreading. Uh, we're worried that the world is going to be taken over by people who are not Americans. And so for Russia's part, or I guess I should be saying Soviet Union because they weren't quite Russia yet. I was going to correct you on that, but then I figured <laughs> I might sound like a punk. Yeah, well, you would have, and I'm glad you you let me just correct myself. But I was right. <laughs> You are right. <laughs> and now you are. Uh, so the, the Soviet Union, you know, is really kind of getting wary, too. Uh, so it's not just the United States is fearful that people may, may attack them. The Soviet Union is also very fearful that they may be attacked, especially right off the heels of World War II. Yeah. So in the mid-1950s, both the United States and the Soviet Union are thinking, hey, how can we make sure that our missiles go far? and protect our country and our interests. So that's going to mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But know this, that there was a lot of arm building going on in the mid-50s. And in 1955, the United States says, hey, we are going to launch some satellites that are going to go around the Earth and... The Soviet Union said, yeah, we are too. <laughs> and not only are we going to do it, we are going to beat you to the punch. So by the time 1957 rolls around, 
the Soviet Union has launched a satellite. So on October 4th, 1957, the Soviet Union launches their satellite. There it goes. And the United States is not launching theirs until December 6th. So on the scoreboard, Soviet Union 1, United States 0. The worst part was December 6th rolled around. And not only did Russia, I'm sorry, Soviet Union beat us to the punch, beat us as in America, but the first real publicized attempt that we had at it just failed catastrophically. We launched the missile, or I guess it wasn't a missile. We launched the satellite and it explodes. And so it, it comes about four months later in January, the end of January of 58, that we were actually able to launch Juno 1, uh, which it did succeed. So on April 2nd, 1958, President Eisenhower, you'll remember him, Ike. Everybody likes Ike, right? reading a yeah. very interesting book, by the way, called The President's Club. And it's dealing with Eisenhower and Truman. And that relationship had no idea that it had soured so bad. We're going to have to talk about that at some point. Nice. But anyway, Eisenhower is like, uh, this is not cool. <laughs> the United States should be first in all of this. And he recommends to Congress that a civilian agency be established that will direct non-military space activities. So Lyndon Johnson, he's over there in the Senate. He says, let's do it. And NASA is born, which for those of you who don't know what NASA means, it's the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. But the act is called the National Aeronautics and Space Act. See what we did there? NASA. NASA. Anyway, <laughs> NASA is created out of this act, and by the time 1959 rolls around, the Army relinquishes their space-related activities uh, to the new agency, and go NASA. Here we go. So over the next couple of years, we launch a lot of different you know, satellites and moon probes and stuff like that into space, and so does the USSR. And it's starting to look at this point like America is not going to win. And sure enough, on April 12th, 1961, the USSR launches Yuri Gagarin into orbit around the Earth. And he is the very first cosmonaut or um, sailor of the universe, as it is translated, which is pretty cool if you ask me for that to be your title uh, and it's a uh, wear a special outfit for that yeah absolutely and uh yeah so yuri becomes the first human in space and we lose the space race here in america yeah so of course yuri he's going all over the eastern bloc countries you know all behind the iron curtain and he's a celebrity and this is just well, Ike does not like this at all. And no red-blooded American is liking this at all. This is horrible. But, um, you know, we're doing our thing over here stateside. The Air Force, they've developed a program. And uh, it's called Man in Space Soonest. <laughs> How do you like that for a name? That's the name of the program. Man in Space Man. Soonest. Very... Clever. It's definitely descriptive. We'll give them that. 
Yeah. I love military terminology like that. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, very well. I, I wonder how much time they spend in the boardroom. They're branding people come out and they're like, okay, man and spaced. So, <laughs> I, I said I it. A- I, I said man and spaced. Man in space soonest. See, they're branding people. They must have messed up. They also probably didn't realize, and I'm probably not the first person to make this terrible joke, that man in space soonest is also, uh, you know, the acronym MISS, which they did miss getting the man in space soonest. Ah. So, yeah, that wasn't wasn't fortunate either. On May 5th, 1961, though, finally, Alan Shepard becomes the first American in space. And he uh, he didn't quite get into orbit, but he did make it. <laughs> so that's all that counts, I guess. She's like, woohoo, space. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't there the soonest. But, you know, that's no. cool. We're, we're Americans. And, well, what do you do if you're in America? You say, oh, yeah? Well... We're going to go to the moon. And that's where John F. Kennedy, remember him? He was the president. Uh And in the early 60s, 1961 to be exact, but this is my episode where I'm just going to be very humble. Uh So, you know, early 60s. John F. Kennedy says, let's go all the way to the moon. Fly Fly me. No, not me. Fly somebody else to the moon. <laughs> and, and Ben, this was one of my favorite things. I, I said, I've learned one thing in high school history, and that was that the vice president is the president of the Senate. Uh, the th- one thing I learned in history in junior high was that the whole man on the moon mission was not only to get somebody to the moon, but to get him back safely. I just thought that yeah. was very touching that our government cared enough <laughs> to not only send somebody out there, but to send them back. Yeah, they cared about the people, but not like the monkeys and stuff, which I get it. There is definitely a difference, but it's kind of just weird that like we launched animals into space and left them. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk about that. That's really sad. Uh, <laughs> JFK, though, actually, uh, he was totally all about getting somebody to the moon. And then they started presenting him with different budgets and stuff. And he was like, well, maybe we don't need to go to the moon. It's not a big deal. Uh, It looks like it's going to be pretty expensive. But he did eventually come around and support NASA and the space program. And uh, it turned into kind of a a passion project of his, I guess you could say. So in the late 50s and into the early 60s, you have the American government thinking, hey, we're going to send some really sharp people to outer space. So we need to make sure that we have the best of the best, the creme de la creme. And that's where we have the original seven astronauts. And let's face it, this is an election podcast. You guys are probably listening to us because you want to talk politics and so on. We'll get into that in just a moment. But do know that among the seven original astronauts is one John Glenn. And that's where we're going to talk about a little bit about the life of John Glenn, who just passed away a few days ago. 
Right. Yeah, that definitely is what sparked us in this episode. So don't think we were just kind of going off the rails here, even though we might be. So John Glenn is the first American to orbit the Earth. And he goes around three different times. And he had previously been a fighter pilot. And he was in World War II. He was in Korea. And needless to say, he was very, very skilled at flying fighter planes. He was, uh, as Jason said, one of those Mercury 7, the, the test pilots that NASA had selected to be the first astronauts. And in February of 62, he flies the Friendship 7 mission and, like I said, is the first American to orbit the Earth. And can you imagine, Jason, some of the stuff he got to see? Like one, one of the first American, actually the first American to ever get to see all that stuff from a first person point of view. Yeah. I like how you said stuff because you know, the right stuff. Yeah. And I just remember that movie. I have not seen the right stuff since it was in the theater, (laughs) which Uh was like 1980 something. But anyway, yeah, he orbits the earth three times and he is seeing everything very quickly. I mean, he is, Boom, over Africa. And then the next moment, boom, he's over Australia. And there's a lot of cool things that you'll hear, you know, a lot of anecdotes that come out of this mission. One of my favorites is where he saw the lights of Perth, uh, which is in Western Mm -hmm. Australia. And the people, you know, it was nighttime. And the the good people of Perth said, we are going to show our lights. So they all had their lights on. And... Colonel Glenn is like, I see the lights. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for turning them on. And I hope you're all doing well down there. And of course, all the people in Mission Control are like, oh man, we are so jealous because John Glenn, he's up there. He's seeing all this cool stuff. He's seeing it like no other American has ever seen it. And this, this would just be totally cool. He said that he could see the whole state of Florida. So he is the first guy to, the first American, that is, to be able just to say, hey, there's Florida. It looks just like you would have seen it on a map. <laughs> and um, you could see it all the way back to the Mississippi Delta, which I would just be like, okay, where's my house? But, and then I am one of those dorks who sits at the window on an airplane and I look for my house when I take off. Yeah. I can't help it. Def- definitely a dork, but... Uh, I don't even know if from my airport we would go over my house for any possible flight pattern that I can imagine. Oh man, so, I am a geek. I've I've actually flown <laughs> past. So I live in the Cincinnati area. I've flown from Detroit to Lexington, and uh-huh. I've seen my house because we flew over Cincinnati. It's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. I'm I am a dork. So <laughs> so the United States after John Glenn comes back launches three more flights, but not before John Glenn basically becomes a national hero. And President Kennedy actually goes out and goes on a parade with him at Cape Canaveral. Uh, he gets a ticker tape, tape parade in New York City. Needless to say, if you are John Glenn or anyone who just went to space for the first time as an American or orbited the Earth as an American, you're a pretty big deal right now. So what this does for American morale is 
I mean, well, Ben stated it. You know, they threw a ticker tape parade for you. That means something really good has happened. And uh, yeah, John Glenn really becomes the face of a winning space program. During his training and everything, John Glenn had kind of, you know, they, they go under all sorts of psychological tests and whatnot. And Robert Kennedy, attorney general at the time, and also the president's brother, says to John Glenn after he's done, says, you know what? Uh, there's a senator in Ohio, which just happens to be where you're from, Mr. Glenn, in case you forgot, <laughs> who, who I think you should run against. Uh, I, his name is Stephen Young, and the Democratic primary is coming up. And so in 1964, John Glenn says, hey, guess what? I'm done with space, and I'm going to run in this race against Stephen Young. And then he hits his head on a bathtub, gets a concussion, and he wasn't able to campaign, so he didn't get the position. Yeah, and all the while, John Glenn is pretty close to the Kennedys. And when Robert Kennedy was assassinated... He served as one of RFK's pallbearers. In 1970, Glenn runs again, or runs for the first time, I guess you could say, and gets defeated in the Democratic primary very narrowly, but he does get defeated. Uh, he is asked to run for lieutenant governor a little while later and says, nope, not going to do it, and instead <laughs> goes up again for the Senate seat a couple years later. These two Democrats, Howard Metzenbaum, and John Glenn, they're going at it in the primaries because it's looking like whoever wins the Democratic primary is probably going to defeat the Republican. And the campaigning gets nasty. And Metzenbaum pretty much says, well, John Glenn hasn't had a real job. John Glenn says, excuse me, he gives the speech called the Gold Star Mother Speech, and he tells Metzenbaum to go to a veteran's hospital and, quote, look at those men with mangled bodies in the eyes and tell them they don't or they didn't hold a job. You go with me to any Gold Star Mother, and you look her in the eye and tell her that her son did not hold a job. And this really fires up people because... Of course, serving in the military, you're, you're doing one of the most noble things that you possibly can as an American. And John Glenn goes on and wins the primary. So this is kind of where we turn back into election college for a minute instead of Ben and Jason fanboy out about outer space. Uh, so John Glenn <laughs> is now a senator or was at the time a senator and had been previously an astronaut. He later is no longer a senator and becomes an astronaut again and becomes the oldest individual to go into space, which is pretty stinking cool back in 1998. Uh, but there are some other politicians who have been astronauts or at least been involved in the space program. And we're going to talk about a couple of them. And it is worth noting that John Glenn was one of the front runners on the Democratic side for the 1984 presidential nomination. And, you know, that was about the time that the movie The Right Stuff came out. And the book had been released earlier. And Glenn was pretty cool with that. But then he didn't care for some of the ways he was portrayed in the movie and did that have a role 
in Walter Mondale beating him out for the Democratic nomination? We may never know. All right, so then we have been fanboys of space, and of course, space, United States. You think of John Glenn. So definitely we are thinking a lot about John Glenn's legacy this week, and he, in fact, is not the only astronaut who has served in public office. Right, we've got John Leonard Swigert Jr., who was known as Jack Swigert, and he was from Colorado. He was a Republican, and he was a candidate in the primary for being the U.S. Senator um, from Colorado in 1978. Uh, He didn't win that one, but he did win the office of U.S. Representative from Colorado in 1982, but he passed away before he was actually able to take office. Uh, He was on the Apollo 13 moon mission, and uh, that's the mission that I'm sure many of you are familiar with, at least the, the movie of. And the mission was aborted when an oxygen tank ruptured, but they were able to get back safely. Uh, he did get the Presidential Medal of Freedom, but he passed away from uh, bone marrow cancer uh, back in 1982. Yeah, that happened really fast for him. I think it was just during the campaign that mm-hmm. he was having some issues and like a nasal passage and wow he went he went quickly so Harrison Schmidt um, also known as Jack uh, from New Mexico he served on the Apollo 17 mission and he landed on the moon in December of 1972 and Senator Schmidt As Well, I just gave it away. (laughs) He became a senator uh, from New Mexico, and he served from 1977 to 1983. Yeah, he ran for re-election and was defeated in 1982's election uh, and kind of hit the bricks. Uh, Jack Luzma. What's up with everybody being named Jack? That's all these these, uh, astronauts that are also... Uh, in politics, being named Jack, but uh, he was from Michigan. He was born in Grand Rapids and was an astronaut uh, for the Skylab crew in 1973. And he was the candidate for U.S. Senator for Michigan in 1984 uh, as a Republican, but did not end up winning the seat. And currently serving in the United States Senate is Bill Nelson from Florida, and he flew on the space shuttle Columbia back in January of 1986. Yeah, and when we were uh, in D.C. a few weeks ago, Jason, we actually got to see Bill Nelson speak in the Senate, which is pretty cool because he is still a senator and, uh, of course, had a long career in politics before that. But, yeah, that's kind of interesting. We'll also mention Edwin Garn or Jake Garn, as many people probably are more familiar with him as. He flew on the Discovery in April of 1985, and he was at one point the mayor of Salt Lake City, and at another point from, oh, 1975 to 1993, he was actually the U.S. Senator from Utah. So, man, lots of senators and other individuals, other elected offices flying in space here. Yeah, it's fascinating to me, Ben, that you have sitting senators going up into space. And the funny thing is with uh, Senator Garn is that he's like, hey, I'm the head of the Senate Appropriations Subcommittee that 
deals with NASA. So I want to go to space. And they're like, well, okay. <laughs> and he traveled over two and a half million miles in 108 Earth orbits. And he was in space for 167 hours. But uh, what I wanted to mention was he got pretty sick uh, while up there. And there is a saying among astronauts, hey, go figure, you're learning this stuff in election college right now. <laughs> there is a saying where one garn is the highest level of space sickness that you can get. So there you go. Now you know about how to describe your space sickness to your significant other when you're feeling under the weather. Oh, I have a garn. Um, yeah. One garn. So thank you to all of those who don't get a garn when <laughs> listening to the podcast. And um, we really appreciate the ratings and reviews that have rolled in just this week. And I uh, wanted to mention one of them. And that was the fourth Bash Brother. And uh, man, I am having all kinds of 80s and early 90s flashbacks. But <laughs> and he said, this is such a fun podcast for a history lover. And whenever he's in the mood to listen to podcasts, which I've done that before. It's just like, hey, I'm going to listen to a lot of podcasts. I, I, I'm just in the right frame of mind. So I understand that totally. He says that this is far and away my favorite podcast of any genre, and I've subscribed to over 30 different podcasts. Wow, we really appreciate that. Thank you, Fourth Bash Brother. Yeah, he also says in, in the review, uh, started at episode one, now I'm through episode 101 in just over a month. Wow, pretty cool. I could not stand uh, to listen to me or Ben that long. That's impressive. Yeah, that's absolutely impressive. I don't like to talk that much even for, for that, that matter. We are also appreciative of all of you who interact with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It really does make our day when somebody has something to say, when somebody asks us a question, thinking for whatever reason that we're actually knowledgeable about things. Uh, and it's really cool just to be able to have that platform to talk with you. You can check us out on all of those places at Election College. Yeah, and if you're so inclined to take 68.3 seconds to give us a rating and review, we'd really appreciate that. Just go to electioncollege.com slash review, and you will be directed to the right place. It's not too late to get an ugly Christmas sweater. You may not get it in time for Christmas at this point, but hey, there's probably still some holiday parties, and why not even wear it in February if you feel like it? I mean, it's going to snow. That's true, yeah. I mean, you need a long sleeve shirt, it doesn't have to be a Christmas sweater. After all, it could be pan-religious, uh, personal pan sweater. So get one. Yeah, it could be Festivus for all we care. Well, that would be earlier than Christmas even, though. So I think Festivus should be whenever you want it to be in your heart. That's what I think. I think Festivus reveals a lot about the heart. So, yeah, for sure. So air your grievances <laughs> <laughs> on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, of course. And... Uh, air all of your positive thoughts on iTunes. Thanks everybody. We'll talk to you next time. This is the story of the one. 
As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.